Welcome to The Trauma Tales, a production of Third Star Media and Shanna White Psychology. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think that you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and the elders in all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit. But what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma and highlight its impacts and, most importantly, to help those who live through trauma to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults. I try to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot. And now, you will too. everybody, I've got John here with me who would like to talk about his experiences. Uh, hi there John, how are you going? I'm pretty good, yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you for joining us today on the Trauma Tales. Let's get started and just dive right in. Would you like to share a little bit about uh, a specific time of your life that was traumatic for you and what was happening? There was two things that happened at the same time and it's now hard to separate the two. Mm-hmm. So... When I was in year eight, I started getting bullied quite bad, quite horrendously bad. But at the same time, a friend close to the family took advantage of that and started grooming me, which led to a sexual assault about a year later. And so the bullying Mm. and the sexual assault uh, culminated in two years of... Basically, my body, my brain, I think, would best to say, started shutting down Mm. um, and going Mm. into just survival mode. And then ultimately, I decided to leave school um, and I was getting sick, seriously sick, and nobody could point a finger to what was happening. Um, But yeah, so yeah. So year eight, so you would have been 14. 14. You're a new kid. Yeah. So when... When the bullying sort of started occurring, um, can I ask, was it sort of, it, did it enter a physical space? Was it like a verbal bullying? It, it started out um, as verbal. Uh, the more like, often when I've um, talked to people about their bullying and it's 
it always seems to start off verbal, and once they kind of identify maybe it's a weak target, it seems to escalate mm. at some point. And that's what happened with me. It was like um, start out the verbal, and then the cooler kids um, jumped on board, and that's when it got physical. So yeah, like my nose, I've had broken. Um, I had my thumb dislocated. Um, yeah. Wow. All the door kicked into my face. So, yeah, it got violent. Yeah, wow. And so a, a fa- friend of the family, did you say? Yeah. Friends of the family, was were they an adult or were they also a teenager? No, they were an adult. Um, they were 11 years older than me. Um, and someone that my, you know, my mum and dad trusted very, very, very well, mm. um, and saw no reason to not trust. Yeah, and it was, but it was over. It was real. The, the grooming took a while, so it started off with, um, you know, if I had a day off school, if I tr- avoided going to school because of the bullying, he would mm-hmm. like take me out to the movies, and then it started with oh. buying porn. Oh. And then gradually, it's kind of uh, over time, you know, uh, it became that type of um, thing from porn magazines to porn movies and from porn movies to sexual acts. Yeah, wow. So, it, and it, I think a lot of people have a misconception around um, perpetrators of, of lots of different types of abuse that that's just, that's, they rock up and they're abusing you, but oh, yeah. sort of similarly, not dissimilar to. Um, other forms of violence like domestic violence you don't rock up on a first date and they're abusive towards you because you no. want to stay so I, I often think and this might sound awful but the ones that are assaulted straight out they kind of go i didn't know the person and they did this and it was horrible and it's traumatic but the ones that are groomed it it, it leaves kind of this um echo that i it took me quite a long time to actually identify, wow, it's actually, I do X, Y, and Z because there's this echo that's just flowing on because that person's, you you want their uh, approval, you want mm. their attention. Like that person's sort of become important because they're taking advantage of you in that vulnerable space. And that's that really coercive manipulation. Yeah. So bring, on that, you just sort of mentioned that you, you, you talk about the echo. Mm. How did it sort of, after that that specific period of time had passed in your life, how did that echo go on for you? How did you see, what were the impacts on your life? Um, hypersexual would be the best way to describe it. From a very right. young, like, I was, so I left school at 16 and I was quite hypersexual um and i was engaging in sex i was putting myself in very very risky situations Mm -hmm. um i was drinking um at 16 quite a bit and painkillers and uh, um i often sort of think and say that victims of childhood sexual assault don't have language to describe mm. that's the best way i could do, say is i didn't know how to sort of say to my parents this happened mm. and it took me 
35, oh, not 35 years, I was 35, so it was about 20 years when I actually told them. But at mm. the time, that language of this, this act had happened, I didn't have, so I dealt with it how I, I knew gr- grown ups did. And I was, you know, hitting the, the liquor cabinet when my parents weren't around. Um, in the old days, going on like um, phone lines to hook up with guys. Okay. Um, and now looking back, it's like, fuck, I could have ruined some guys' lives because I was underage. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so really, really intense risk-taking behaviours. Oh, yeah. And that just – and when I got older, um, I also dived into religion head-on. It was like – Okay, that's a juxtaposition from, from yeah. one to the other. So tell me about diving into religion. What did that look like? It, it, it looked like going from, it was, I guess, um, it was finding a support, a comfort. It was finding something that filled a void and that void mm. was support. And, you know, it, 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 it was good and I still, I, I still practice my faith, but the lens I went into it, because at that point, this assault had also made me question my sexuality. And being a, uh, brought up Catholic, it was I wasn't going to be gay. You know, stuff that, you know. And, you know, suicidal ideation was happening as well, so mm. jumping straight into the religion. Uh, but I was gay, and I am gay, and I'm very proud to be gay, but at the time, it threw what would probably be a natural progression where I probably would have got to 18, 19 and gone, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm queer. The assault, I think, forced open. Um, the, thing, the, the irony is the brain did a marvellous job of editing to protect myself. <laughs> and it was for quite some time I couldn't actually remember. So there was this night where the perpetrator, um, we watched porn, and then all I would remember then is I was in bed. And that was it. The, the bit in between. And then I was around 32 and I started getting nightmares and I've never had nightmares in my life. And it was like a film, like it was mm. like one of those old films where a bit would like sort of shudder into view and I would wake up and wake up my husband going, shit, I've just had a nightmare. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it, it was it was like, so was it, to be clear, was it nightmares or was it flashbacks? That's a, that's a very good question. In, in it, We would probably classify it as a flashback, but at the time okay. it was horrifying. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't know the context, like what was happening. Um, and the therap- I was seeing the therapist at the time for risky sexual behaviour, and God love him, he was professional enough to go, you know what, this is out of my realm, I know somebody who will help you, and point me in the right direction. And that That's where things really started changing. Mm. Mm. So for everyone listening at home, John works in the mental health profession. So I'm actually really, really curious as to if, if at all, um, what have been some of the impacts of your own trauma in operating in a mental health space and caring for others? So it's, it, it makes me, I guess, more empathetic. It's able to understand that sometimes a behaviour that might not be explainable might actually have its roots in something a bit more complex or 
particularly um, when I work with people who are going back to like what I was saying before the the young people that don't have that language mm. and so they they can't they, they might have even forgot aspects of it and well you know you're talking about it they go this did happen but I couldn't at the time and it's yep. understanding that lack of language yes yeah um, I talk about huge. this a lot actually I talk about because you know we talk about in in the training that I do around uh, neurosequential development and understanding mm-hmm. that kids are extremely behavioral creatures oh, and yeah. they don't have the language that adults do to express what's happening so they will show you so I always yeah. talk to people about it's our job to be good interpreters because they're giving you a language it's just not the language you're wanting or expecting or is easy for you because it's not the same language you use yeah. but kids the, the, are very the, very behavioral the only time it's ever impacted me uh, well triggered me was I was working at a public hospital and this guy came in and he was boasting about his uh, perpetration is that the right word um, and the way that he was talking about the victim and mm. I made the mistake at the time of thinking because I was quite I was rather green behind the ears at the time it's like no I've, I've got to I've got to um, deal with this myself I can't really tell my colleagues that like wow that was a a slam in the head and I didn't deal with that quite well but afterwards when I told them it's like they said you know we've all had that moment mm. we've all had mm. that moment where there's somebody triggered us and upset us and you have to talk yes um, about it so yeah it, it, it but on a day-to-day it's I don't bring it into the room but it does help me understand that, yeah, you know, you might not want to have sex or the opposite. You might be wanting to have lots of sex. Mm. Um, you might be wanting that validation or, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about how you were able to kind of move forward and, and come into a healthy space around what happened to you. So tell me a little bit about that. You said you were seeing a therapist. Yeah. Um, so... I got referred to a specialist um, who, it was my first uh, major interaction with someone who dealt with ACT, um, acceptance and commitment therapy. It, I remember I'd sort of heard about it at uni, but we were mostly taught CBT. I'd never actually met anybody who did it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first steps. And it was... Through that, I was able to process it. I was able to remember the act now in full, and I was able to go from victim to survivor. Um, and that was that wording and giving me that language was a huge step because I was no longer letting that person hold anything over me. I was actually, I'd actually done something with my life, and they weren't actually having the control over me. Um, but big things that changed as well was like, um, again, a lot of it did have to do with sex and having like multiple sex partners over a weekend, like on a weekend prior to the therapy, I might've had 26 partners. Um, and it would also involve really rough, serious, um, hardcore sex that just went sort of uh, after about six months of therapy one day it was kind of like 
I was talking to a friend of mine who knew I was into that type of thing. It was like, that doesn't interest me anymore. I, I, I don't need that anymore. I, I don't, yeah, I still have plenty of good sex, but that I need that person's approval. I need that person's validation. I need to be feel loved. And if I particularly like rejection, like mm. what did I do wrong? used to take me back to that sort of um, thinking about the perpetrator. So that kind of, I wouldn't say it evaporated, but it's well and truly manageable. Hmm. So what on a sort of, let's say on a day-to-day basis, what's some of the stuff, what's some of the strategies that you use for yourself? Okay. What works? Uh, on a day-to-day basis. So what, one of the things that I haven't brought up is one of the hangovers was a bit of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. So on a day-to-day basis, um, for a long time there, I was on mild antidepressants. Um, and I, I, with my clients, that is one thing. I don't bag big pharma. Uh, I kind of sort of say to them, this might help you just get your head above water. Mm-hmm. It's important, like if you were a diabetic, you would take the insulin. This is the same thing, just to help you get through. So... I, I work with my clients and myself from having seen that it helped me. Mm. The things I do as well is I, I do um, breathing and mindfulness exercises. I actually do physical exercise. I find physical exercise is probably my big um, help. And during the lockdown, that was a bit of a, a bugger yeah. because gyms were closed. So it was like, okay, what, what can we do? What can we do? Um, I do a lot of uh, thought challenging as well because the perpetrator did used to criticise and bag and belittle. You? Um, yeah. But in, in that sort of, um, oh, you're never going to become anything. Oh, you're, you're mm. too, you know, you're too stupid. And as a child, you don't think, fuck off, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You, you, you think to yourself, oh, he's right. I am this. I am this dirt. And so every now and then I do have to, when I'm feeling down, um, and that it's usually when the thoughts get a bit negative. It's like, no, 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 no. Look at what you've done. Look at what you achieved. Look at what you're um, going to do. Um, so that's yeah. a super CBT um, yeah. strategy right there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Takes me straight back to uni, um, where you're doing a little bit of case formulation and you're doing that that really strategic reframe and challenging those cognitive distortions. But it's interesting that to me that they're still prevalent. Like obviously that strategy is working for you, and and I love it um, myself as well. And it sounds like if I if I may, there might be a little bit of imposter syndrome. Oh, God, yes, huge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've got hit that little nail on the head. Um, but, but I think having that reframe and almost like on a loop, when the, oh, no, I can't do this and I'm not good enough and they're going to figure out that I have no idea what I'm talking about and blah, 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 blah. And then going, hang on a minute, hold the phone, here's the list. This is what you've yeah. done here and here and here and here and here and really challenging that as a well versed practice thing sort of calms that imposter syndrome and that 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 yeah. um even the social anxiety stuff yeah i would imagine to sort of sit there and go well actually no i do have friends and i do have people who care about me and yeah 
sometimes that, that is the biggest one because he in particular sowed a lot of um seeds of doubt about my family like his mm. actions led to me like not I haven't talked to my brother really in 20 years because of things he sowed, things he sort of said. Um, he tried to get in between me and my mum, but being a good Irish boy that ain't, and a gay boy, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that impact on not just me, but that ripple effect mm. a, around those who I love um, it's kind of it still goes on and it's a reminder daily yeah. yeah it's almost like I wonder because you were a teenager and so vulnerable in that space and that person being an adult who mm. wasn't that much older than you mm. so there was I don't know, I'm not thinking of the right word but like there are Young enough to be cool, but old enough that they had authority over you. Yeah, yeah. So they had almost that that you know perfect storm. Yeah, where their voice was the strongest. And it's really bizarre that their family was seen as better than ours. So oh. um, they made his parents made a bit more money and they lived in a better house and so it was just seen as oh they're better than us and therefore as a family we gave into that bullshit of like oh yeah gotta respect them and so automatically he came with that authority before he even did anything yeah so that's a whole nother layer of of authority that beyond just age so there's that class and wealth lens as well when you were able to go, I'm not okay, I need to do something about this, I'm actually really curious, what was the tipping point? What was the one thing? Like, uh, did you wake up one day and just go, I can't do this anymore? Or what was that moment for you that you went, fuck this, I'm going to make a phone call and go and see a professional? Yeah. Looking back, it was probably my husband who sort of said, uh, I can't put up with this. Um and like other people with PTSD and childhood traumas where you, you, you've got behaviours that you don't know what you're doing. So I would be moody. I would have mood swings. I would um, have a temper. And it was probably that moment just going, things have to change. Mm. So I went. Um, and the, 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 the course was probably, that was probably around 28. And so to actually get to that realisation in the early 30s of like, oh, this happened. Um, it took a while, but it was worth it. And now? How are you now? Great. Yeah. Yeah. It still yeah. it still comes up as we were chatting about. Like it's it still lives as part of your life and it's your lived experience. It's never going to yeah. be gone, but it's, no. you know, as you said, manageable. And I've decided to take ownership of it, and I think that's the difference. I could try and suppress it and go, that never happened. Mm. It did. It's been a big part of forging who I am. Um, So I own it. And even at times I will talk about it um, with clients. As I say, I don't often bring it into them, but if it's like 
they're, they're having problems process it or they feel alone. It's like, you're not alone. Talk a little bit about my own experience without um, de- uh, um, validating them. And sort of talk about, you know, it. you can actually, there is, you can have a chapter two after it. You can have um, chapter two. I like that. Which I think a lot of people, whether they be sexually sold as adults or kids, they don't. They don't believe it can um, go on. But you're proof that it can. I try and be. You are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we might leave it there. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Not a problem. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Thank you for joining me for the Trauma Tales. A new episode will be released every fortnight and they will cover all areas and topics where trauma has occurred. I'm really looking forward to sharing these with you. If you'd like to follow our social pages, the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think. If this episode of the Trauma Tales has impacted on you, please contact one of the following resources. Lifeline, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT, Men's Helpline. The contact details for each of these are in the show notes. Or if you would like to contact us to share your story on our podcast, or if you want to sponsor our show, please email us at thetraumatales, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com. <laughs>